guys, it's me, Layla Cheek, your host today, and thank you for joining me on another edition of Hamlet Island and Ample Cause Our Justification. And just another um, shameless plug to Anchor for anchoring us down one more time. And I just wanted to um, document my memoir and my journey and um, talk a little bit about Dietrephus, who I often wrote to the church about many times, but he loves to put himself first and he won't welcome us. So when I come, I'll call what he's doing. He talks wicked nonsense about us, spreading malicious lies and malicious wicked nonsense about us. And I'm not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome me as a believer and stops those that wants to and puts them out of the church. He will not let anyone else welcome you either. So not only is he spreading malicious uh, lies and rumors and nonsense, but he won't let anyone else welcome you as a believer in the church either. And to cap that off even further, um, their hands are full of blood. Uh, they have evil deeds that, you know, they keep on doing. Uh, they don't do what's right. They don't seek justice. They don't stop doing wrong. They've been doing vile, uh, evil uh, violence. And they don't take up the cause of the oppressed or the, the fatherless or plead the case of the widow. They keep doing evil and wanting to um, spurn uh, the reality and truth by um, making me out to be the bad guy and plotting evil things against me. And they bring uh, meaningless offerings and uh, detestable um, burnt offerings before the Lord. And God's like, I had enough of your burnt offerings. I don't want any more rams and the fat of your fattened animals. Stop and bring me your uh, fattened animals that you uh, fatten over there and that you uh, keep adding uh, weight to and then light them on fire as burnt offerings for your bloody deeds. He's like, that's detestable to me. I'm not welcoming your your burnt offerings. They're meaningless. Stop bringing me the incense and detestable are detestable to me in the new moons, your Sabbaths and your convocations. I can't bear your worthless assemblies. He's like, stop bringing me your burnt offerings. I don't want them, and I don't want your fat offerings of your rams. They're gross, and I hide my eyes from you. So, your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself, make yourself clean, and take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And this uh, preacher seems to think that he's so holy, and that everyone else is so unclean, 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 that they can't even touch him. And that's like, that's detestable to me. And in fact, uh, you know, um, a witness against you and uh you know your bloody hands are um all over the place and you are not taking up the cause of the father's and widow the one that you wronged and oppressed in this matter he's like stop lighting them on fire i don't want your burnt offerings uh repent and do what's right you are a, a murderer and a full of injustice how long Will you keep doing this? Your silver and your bitcoins have become dross. Your uh, corrosion will testify against it. Your rulers are rebels. They're partnered with thieves. They all love bribes. They chase after gifts. And they'll defend the cause of the fatherless, the widow, or the case that they come before them. He says, you know, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. It's a trap. It's a snare. It causes money to fall into foolish, harmful desires and plunges people into ruin and destruction. 
the love of money is a root. Root. You have plenty of roots in there of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for this money and, uh, you know, trafficking and, and having uh, bitcoins and uh, uh, roots in people for um, ownership of them, like a cattle in a sense, like a livestock, is uh, evil. And it's, you know, this love of money that caused many to wander from the faith. And they pierce themselves with many griefs. He's like, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith. Love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. He's like, this love of money that you have, it's a, it's a root of all kinds of evil. And it's a trap, and it's going to plunge you into more ungodliness. Contentment is a great gain. With godliness, how much more? And then he says, you know, Jacob will be a fire, Joseph a flame, but Esau will be stubble. They'll set him on fire and burn him to death and destroy him. They won't, there won't be a survivor for Esau. Why? Because Jacob's going to start a fire and Joseph's going to lit a flame and they're going to light Esau on fire, essentially, and there won't be a survivor for him. And this, this is their plan and their goal. And these guys have uh, gotten so greedy and so uh, violent and so obnoxious in their crimes and their uh, burnt offerings that I don't think it even faces them anymore that they'll just like watch Esau burn into stubble. There won't be a survivor for him. It's okay. They made out with great abundance and great gain and all kinds of wealth. Right? For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he's chosen you because our gospel came not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything else about it. They report themselves what kind of reception you gave them. And you became a model, not only of, of this faith, but in all areas. It wasn't that you had some kind of, you know, something wrong with you or some kind of a health thing or some, you know, deformity or, you know, you were like a model. And your faith, with that, rung out all over. They reported themselves. What kind of reception they had among you. And this uh, came with great power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. It was a powerful movement. Was that there was something wrong with you or this that like no you're a model and they knew it. They're trying to cover it up. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. And in the time of your father he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. So don't worry, don't let your face look so pale. Tan it up a little bit. He said, there's a man in your kingdom from your father's time. Uh, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. And they couldn't figure out where this insight and intelligence was coming from. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king had called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams. He could explain riddles. He could solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He'll tell you what the writing means. 
So Daniel was brought before the king. And the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles of my father? The king that brought from, they brought from Judah? He's like, I heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanted earth were brought before him, me. But they couldn't read this writing on the wall. Please tell me what it means. So the king, obviously, has heard of Daniel. And he heard of this insight he had, this wisdom he had, this um power that he had from from you know the gods almost and it was this uh, supernatural power and ability given to him and it was insight and intelligence and, and outstanding wisdom and the king has heard of it He's like from your father Nebuchadnezzar it was uh left over and, and appointed unto you and he said hey king live forever don't don't let your face look so pale don't be terrified because faith grew more and more pale and his nobles, nobles were baffled so obviously this power was notable and commendable and and um word was spreading fast. People heard of it. So just as Christ died for us, whether we're awake or we're asleep, most of this is while you're asleep. Not not while you're awake. A lot of it happens while you're asleep. Not not in a dream state, but you know, some might liken it to we're dreaming. But while you're sleeping or while you're awake that we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you are in fact doing. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will complete it. Then you'll know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. When they put the capstone on it, they were saying, God bless it, God bless it. Zerubbabel's hands had uh, laid the foundation of it, and his hands will complete it. Who dares despise a day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the whole earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's like, uh, you, house of Israel, you despise the small things. They're worthless to you. Uh, you consider them as nothing. They're too small for you. It was like manna. What is it? Worthless. He said, oh, to you who, you know, despise the day of small things. Look, Zerubbabel is over here. Not unless he's saying, God bless it. God bless it. Uh, that, they'll rejoice when they see this chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Not only will it, has he laid the foundation of it, but um, you'll know the Almighty sent me to you. Because who dares despise the day of the small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the whole earth will rejoice. When they see this chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches besides the two golden pipes that pour golden oil? He replied, don't you know what these are? No, my lord, I said. He said, these are the two who are the anointed ones to serve the Lord on, of all the earth. So there are two anointed ones on the right and the left, like two olive trees and like a lampstand. There are olive branches beside two golden pipes that poured out golden oil all day long. Like, you know who these are? He's like, no, I haven't heard up to now. He's like, these are the two anointed ones and they serve the Lord. And, you know, of course, they go back to the Ruba Bell saying, God bless it. When you are mighty mountain before the revolt, Bella, you'll become a level ground, a level plain. 
Then he'll bring out the capstone to the shouts of it. God bless it. Oh, house of Israel, how you despise the small things. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for the patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from then, from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They'll rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Well, we never thought, you know, those that were dead would be blessed. But he says, write it down. Put it in stone. In fact, send it to seven churches into John. Blessed are the dead who die. Why? Because their deeds will follow them and they can rest from their labor at last. You don't have to put them to work anymore. They can find rest at last from all the labor you put them through. And their good deeds will follow them. Blessed are they that are dead. And the smoke, the torment of those that got that mark of that beast will go up forever and ever. And the patient, be patient, patient endurance of the saints. And people of God will will be tested and as they remain faithful to Christ throughout all of it. Then the Ruabal, son of Shiltel, Joshua, son of Jothadek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. The message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. The people feared the Lord. So we see what a great turn of events here with Zerubbabel and some of the um, prominent officials and uh, governors of the time and and the high priest. And he said that they started to obey the voice of the Lord and they realized that God um, was speaking through this prophet and um, it was the Lord their God that had sent them. So they feared the Lord that day. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. He stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jodadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole run of the people, and came and worked in the house of the Lord Almighty. So we're grateful that they started to fear the Lord and started to heed the Lord's voice in this. Once again, we see his, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing water. So his feet were almost like a metal, just like bronze, and they're glowing. Especially like under a UV light, it would just be like pure shining metal in a furnace. Like it's lit on fire all day long. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And his right hand, he held seven stars coming out of his mouth with a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun. Shining in all its brilliance. I saw him and I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand. And I noticed the foot too. The feet and the right hand. He said, hey, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the living one. I was dead. But now look, hey, I'm alive forever. I hold the keys to death and haze. Don't you forget that. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels with seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, 
pretty much, you know, not only were his feet like bronze glowing in the furnace, but you know, he had this, um, face shining like a, like the sun and a double-edged sword in his mouth. And he's like, uh, you know, in his right hand, he holds the keys to death and Hades. And don't be afraid. Uh, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive. Make sure uh, you write that down. And don't forget, I hold the keys to it. I'm the first and last. I'll hold the keys to death and to Hades. As silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin are gathered into a furnace to be melted with a fiery blast, someone will gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I'll gather you and I'll blow on you with my fiery wrath and you'll be melted inside her. As silver is melted in a furnace, so you'll be melted inside her. You notice the emphasis on melted here and fire and burning? It's a theme constantly throughout. Take note. Now, silver is melted in the furnace, so you being melted inside her, and you'll know that I, the Lord, have poured my wrath on you. So we see a lot of a melting in a furnace and fire and burnt offerings and just metal glowing from this fire constantly going on inside of her. Hmm? That's something constantly repeated. Um, when God repeats something, that kind of means it's important. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as he'd welcome as you'd welcome me. If he's done anything wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I palm writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. Oh, oh and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. So what happens? It started with a guest room being prepared for him. Not only did Diatrephus not welcome this new believer, he didn't want that kind in the church, and he did everything he could to make sure uh, not only was she not welcome, but not welcomed in a worthy way by any means. And he would put himself first and talk uh, malicious, uh, wicked, perverted nonsense about her to try and ruin her uh, credibility and reputation. And uh, he wouldn't welcome her in the church, and if anyone else wanted to dare welcome her, he would stop them too and put them out. And he said that, you know, all this started because uh, I asked you to prepare a guest room for me that I could be restored to you soon. So he came, you know, here to lodge in this guest room. And uh, it was just a matter of lodging in his own little upper room there, his own little guest room that he stayed in. And that was part of the reason why he was so uh, uh, angered, I guess, at um, these arrangements. He didn't want to tell him he came for lodging and that he had a guest room prepared. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. 
What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, right? All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. And this was the first, you know, church that we read about in Acts when all of a sudden, you know, after the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came, everyone had everything in common. They shared all their possessions. Uh, what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. We have everything in common. There's nothing that, you know, is to one one person. Just take what you want. Free for all. Share it all, right? And that's kind of how this uh, new gathering was in this uh, in this lodging and in this guest room. It's kind of like, we love everyone. Everyone love each other. It's like this new church and nothing is mine that's not yours and nothing is yours that's not mine. We, you know, share all our possessions together. It's like, you know, a modern day kind of Robin Hood. And with, you know, these people did it um, just out of love and out of this abundance of the Holy Spirit. And they had just an abundance of anything they wanted, any, any need that they needed was met and fulfilled. And that um, if we really love others, it's not hard to share or to help them out. It should just be an overflow of our love. And God will expand your circle too to uh, grow you in these communities and, and help you share that love for people. And he'll fill your heart, you know, with, with love for the people around you and really show the love of Christ. And eventually, you you know, nothing will be yours. You'll be wanting to share everything with those around you. And they'll just, you know, take what they want and everyone will be satisfied. Everyone will be filled with yours is mine and mine is yours. There's no boundaries to anything. And that's how the first church kind of evolved. Started. It's just a great um, swap meet. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. I know many times we think about praising God as, you know, like going to church and lifting our hand as we sing or maybe um, saying a prayer before dinner or before bed or, you know, praise is sometimes maybe a corporate sense of in church we worship together. But actually, praise is something that we can do all the time and we should thank God. Um, for the little things and the big things as well. And um, we should just uh, have this attitude of thankfulness wherever we go. And sometimes it's not in a corporate sense. And sometimes it's not in a raised hand or a song or, you know, um, a prayer before we eat. But it's just uh, something that we should do constantly and all the time. And uh, just thinking about how much uh, God has done for us and being grateful for everything that we have from him and to just remember that every good gift comes from, comes from him. We should constantly be thankful and, uh, and grateful to praise him and just um, how good God is and not, you know, maybe mindful of the bad, but just be mindful of all the blessings that he's given you. And it's something that we could do anytime, anywhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, in a hymn or in a song, but you know, we can thank him, you know, for 
you know, our time today. Thank you for this uh, car. Thank you for my breakfast today. Thank you for my kids today. Thank you for just giving me this, you know, five minutes of time in my car alone. Thank you for just, you know, um, getting me through my workout at the gym. Thank you for, you know, my husband, small, big, doesn't matter. And thank God for all things, all the time. It doesn't have to be in a worshipy, uh, corporate sense of, um, singing together in hymns and um you know praise in in the sense that we think it should be sometimes and god you know um met with jacob face to face and um jacob's name uh named this this place peniel which is god's face because he said i saw god face to face and lived to tell the story and i know um we have a lot of talk about stories sometimes, and I think it really um, mars the Christian testimony and the Christian witness of the things God has done and things Christ has done for you. But Jacob did come face to face with God, and his life was changed forever. And what happened was that, you know, Jacob's name was a schemer, a cheater, because that's what he was, and that's what his name was. He cheated people all the time. He cheated, you know... Um, his brother of the birthright, and he was this, um, a constant, uh, schemer and, and cheater. And that was kind of what his identity was. But when God met him that night, he changed his name and he changed it to Israel. And he said, you know, I, I'm going to see past your flaws and past your scheming ways and your lying and conniving and cunning. And I'm going to give you a new name. And Israel means Prince of God. And he's like, I'm going to change you and change your character and your identity and no longer will you be the schemer and this um cheat. But I'll give you a new name and I'll change you into I'll change you to Israel. And so that's when um Jacob met God there and wrestled with him all night. And God decided to give him this new name and you know, he saw his weakness and he saw that, you know, Jacob had these flaws and these these character flaws and he was a a cunning man, a deceitful man. He wasn't honest about anything. And he constantly was ripping people off and scheming people and using deceit to prosper and to get by. And God met with him. He seemed past this weakness he had. And these weaknesses in his character, these weaknesses in his faith, these weaknesses in his his morale and his, you know, being. And God saw past those. And it's like, hey, you know, Jacob, I know this is your name, but I, I'm going to claim you as mine. And I'm going to give you a new name. And your name will be changed to Israel. And you're going to be Prince of God from now on. And I'm going to see past your weakness and past your scheming and cunning ways and past your deceit. And I'm going to give you a new identity. And, and you're going to be a, a new person now for me. And he said that um, I'm going to, you know, change you. And so when you have these personal encounters with God sometimes, um, you're not the same. And you're not left the same. Let's hope, you know, Jesus never you know, keeps you where you're at, right? He meets you where you're at, but he, he won't keep you there, right? He grows you. And so that's what happened to Jacob that night when he wrestled with that, that angel of God and he lived to tell about it. And he saw God face to face and he said that it changed his life. And God could see beneath G- uh, Jacob and beneath his scheming ways who he made him to be and who he wanted him to be and how... He had potential to be this man that God could use for great things and to pass his spiritual um, heritage down and his blessings down. And so, um, 
he wanted Jacob to repent and to know God's um, grace and, and mercy and to um, change into the person that God wanted him to be and see um, past those flaws and his potential. And so oftentimes, you know, if we have this big encounter with God and we meet God face to face, he um, changes you and you should have a story to tell. And you, you know, should say, I think God face to face and I live to tell a story. And maybe you didn't, you know, personally wrestle with God, but in a spiritual sense, you wrestle your heart with him oftentimes and, and you don't maybe see him face to face, but oftentimes, you know, God's wrestling with your heart and wanting you to um, be the person that he made you to be and change you from, you know, the schemer or this liar, or this uh, cunning man that you are and, and into something better that God has in store for you and uh, be in Israel. Be Prince of God. Be, be something, you know, that God could uh, use for, for all eternity. So he oftentimes uh, sees our potential and um, sees who we really are and what we should be. And that's our testimony. It's not necessarily stories that we tell and that was kind of just um, making a mockery of uh, the Christian witness and the Christian uh, testimony of how Jesus changes you and how encounters with God and, and, and Christ uh, change you. And oftentimes um, the world pretends like they're stories when in fact they're valuable um, testimony. And that's what, you know, previous podcast of mine kind of alluded to that the whole resurrection was based on we've seen this and now we testify to it and proclaim it, right? Something you see and then you go and tell. And that's kind of what these encounters are with Christ and these uh stories that have been passed on that Jacob, you know, has encountered God and, and lived to tell about it and has a story about it. And so we know that Christians are often strong together and so are um, all kinds of groups, all kinds of, you know, flocks flock together. We see that in politics. They're often strong and in their in their um, parties together, strong in number, and Christians, you know, strong and banded together, and so, you know, there's oftentimes um, where spurring each other on and um, being unified is um, especially uh, strengthening, and so when you have a team of uh, strong Christians coming together, or a team of um, Romans coming together, or a team of... um, Roman Christians, you know, or whatever your your team is, being uh, united and strong is a uh, very um, encouraging and supportive. And God says, you know, to continue spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. And so, how um, much power is in numbers, and how much power when um, believers are, you know, encouraged and, and live um, united and strengthening each other and um, not only does that protect against evil, but it also has powerful um, ways to um, impact uh, others and influence those around them. And so God doesn't call us to live out our faith alone, and he often puts us in, in community and in be- uh, community of believers and often says to be um, strengthened by those, not you know, not for tearing you down, but for building you up, right? That's always Paul's message is like, you know, I'm not here to... To tear it down, I'm here to build you up. And so, you know, how 
we are supposed to spur each other on in, in good works and in the faith. And, you know, that's how many um, Christians in the past were uh, united and strong and how many groups, you know, especially um, the early church in, in, in Romans and the, the Roman uh, Christians were um, very strong because they're good together and they met regularly and they challenge each other and they support each other and they often upheld each other and that's how um, they grew very um, united strong. That's just a good lesson from from Romans how we can have all these um, you know newbies kind of um, come unite and, and grow uh, so powerfully and strong together and that was kind of secret. They met often they met regularly they always touch base and they always you know spurred each other on and we know that um there's a lot of old wives tales and a lot of um riddles and superstitious superstitious things that are passed down from generation to generation and um oftentimes we can um get caught up in those and um you probably heard your good share of old wives tales, especially um the older you get. It seems like you've heard them all, but um instead of believing those things or giving into them, um you should probably turn more to prayer, believe in in something that might add um maybe some value to you than in some t- tall tales or generational uh cliche that's been passed down. How much more to believe in in this god yes we don't see him he's an invisible god but how much more to believe in him when we have um testimony of the works he's done and the powerful things he's done in the past and and people testifying to the things they saw and seen him do in their lives and lives of others and we have you know witness and, and testimony that we can talk about the things god has done in our lives and you know, how much more should we believe those and we do old wives tales all day long and just common cliches and just common um superstitions like you know if you break a mirror you have bad luck for seven years or you swallow your gum that's gonna be like seven years to digest and just random tall tales that we believe and might take seriously when they have no backing or no um ground to them. Yet, you know, we don't take stories so to speak testimony of god and um eyewitness accounts of the things he's done seriously because we say oh he's an invisible god or why should we believe in some invisible god that or man or some invisible thing that hears us or why should we you know believe that some invisible dude uh hears us when we speak right so sometimes you know we might think some things are um crazy are don't make sense in the way but we believe crazy things all the time and many crazy stories have been passed down generationally that we think are fun to um believe or some of us take them seriously the superstition and these old wise tales but how much more when god works in supernatural ways and powerful ways and ways that are you know spiritual and above that uh what man can even make up right and sometimes maybe we should just by faith believe on the testimony of people's um encounters with god might sound um strange to believe that this invisible god hears our prayers and that he would care but obviously uh, i think there's been 
hey, proofs and witnesses about them. Why believe old wise tales passed down? I think a lot of people do deal with fear and frustration and in many, many different ways. And uh, words are very powerful and words can uh, really give strength at the right time to people. And I think a lot of people might turn to friends, a, a good book, exercise, a sports event, football, um, a cold beer, a brisky, whatever, you know, to try and relieve their stress or handle their, their fears or handle their, uh, anxieties, right? There's so many ways people deal with, with stress, right? And so many ways that people shoot a, uh, nice, uh, Ben and Jerry's tub ice cream, right? We all have these, uh, quirks or ways we handle our stress. And we don't think there's anything wrong with that. We don't think, oh, turning to food. I mean, look at during quarantine, how many people just turn to mindless things to handle the stress of quarantine during COVID and how we just turn to random things to deal with stress and, and anxieties and anger in the world. And, you know, one thing God tells us that is a sure help is to turn to the Bible. And, you know, that's what I do is I turn to my Bible quite frequently and it gets me through so many problems all the time. And it gives you wisdom, it gives you um, supernatural strength, and it gives you, you know, all kinds of help spiritually, mentally, physically. It, it's alive and active, and it can change your life, and it's a de-stressor, and it can really um, empower you in ways that, you know, ice cream can't. Your conversation with your friend can't, or sharing your feelings with your, you know, friend can't do. Well, these are good ways, maybe, to temporarily put a band-aid over things ultimately god goes for healing of the soul and healing of the heart and healing of your your whole being and he who designed us designed us knows what that that takes and what it needs and he often says that permanent uh relief is through his word and through the bible and you know you can have awe-inspiring words of god um recharge you if you're tired or you're anxious or scared or you're confused and he's like you know man turns to so many different stress relievers and you know drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things that they uh even legalize nowadays for these things and we have more bibles in print today than any other book and half of us just have them hanging on the shelves and never even crack them open and god's like hey uh, there is a perfect stress reliever that I designed who designed you and my word is powerful and it's active and it's, you know, um, more than just a history book and it's more than just a bunch of rules It's actually, um, powerful and powerful enough to change lives. And, you know, sometimes, um, uh, people just think it's a bunch of, uh, history or a bunch of, um, rules. And they forget that there's power in this book and power in God's word. And that is um, God breathed, which means it's, you know, alive and active and inspired by the Holy Spirit as you read it. And it can recharge you and it can give you, you, you know, just what you need at the right time to strengthen you and de-stress you and um, make you whole again. So instead of, you know, cracking open a brewski or something, why don't you crack open your Bible? Do you a lot of good. So, with that being said, I just wanted to anchor some of my encounters down and some of my uh, memoirs down and journalize my uh, spiritual walk here, my journey. And so, I'm glad you guys were able to be with me in these moments. And thank you for listening. Now, why don't we just end with a quick prayer, too. And 
be about and <laughs> what, what we we say we are, you know, and not maybe just document this, make it a, a moment in history, but, you know, invoke God's, God's um, blessing and, and power and healing and, and um, wisdom and, and all of that through even my memory here. So, Father God, we just want to thank you for giving us this little break in our day to just be um, be with you, to be mindful of you, to be grateful of you and all that you do and, and your ever-present help, Lord, in a time of need, in a time of trouble, and always, always there for us whenever, whenever we need to talk to you or go to you or call upon you or even complain or, or just um, get our thoughts together and get a right perspective on your sovereignty, a right perspective on, on life, on sin, and on the sinful state of the marred world and, and the messiness of the complexities of complex uh, societies and complex people and the details of sin and, and everything that goes into it. So thank you for just reminding us that um, you are good, that you are for us, that you are there. To not get caught up in, in foolish controversies of, of genealogies or, or, you know, rules about the law, quarrels about the law, or things that are just unprofitable or divisive that aren't about your grace and not about your euangelion and not about your good news and not about your power and your spirit and not about you being a God that's, that's ever-present and always here whenever we need, Lord, and that's ultimately our focus that's ultimately the king of our heart that's ultimately our, our one and so when you cast out these other idols that that occupy us these other things that might um distract us from from you and your goodness and and you know what you came to do and how we have this um ever present um help this ever present god has got a hand that um cares and hears and and is readily available and um, delights in us coming to him. So we put aside all these, um, burdens and all these weights and all these, um, foolish, uh, things that have been holding us back and are unprofitable. May we pursue righteousness and let us not get bowed down by this, uh, pursuit of, of riches or money or, you know, material things that, um, might hinder us from seeking you wholeheartedly. And may we continue to know that you are the ultimate healer and you are the ultimate um, strength and you see past any flaws that we have and you know who we are and our true identity. May it be in you and remind us, God, when it's not. And that's the beauty of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright guys, well thanks for listening to me and I hope to see you soon. Bye.